Hello and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. You can find the Katie Halper Show on SoundCloud and iTunes. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Also, please subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show for bonus content, extra interviews, extended interviews, etc., etc. Uh, let's see. And then I'm just looking for your article, which is so good. L. Kate Willett. Not Kate Middleton. Different Kate. Different Kate. All right. Welcome, Kate Willett. So excited to have you on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. I love your show. I've been a fan for years now. Oh, my gosh. Thanks. Stop it. But never stop. Um, yeah, you have a great uh, podcast. Uh, it's called Reply Guys. I've been on it, but I liked it even before then. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, that's a huge deal. Uh, I'm just kidding. No, it's really great. And you're a feminist socialist and you're a really good stand-up comedian and you've been on The Colbert Report and uh, you have a Netflix special. Uh, You're just pretty, uh, I believe they call you uh, prolific. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And you're also, uh, you have a comedy album called Glass Cutter, Glass Gutter. Get it? Glass Gutter. Yeah. Glass Gutter. Yeah. The title, the title is like making, uh, it's referencing the glass, the glass ceiling. ceiling. Right. Yeah. I got yeah. it. I got and it. like, uh, women, uh, basically I, I want women to have the freedom to be dirt bags as right. well. Yeah, exactly. You gotta be, uh, fully vertical up and down both poles. Yes. Yeah. Um, also it's like glass cutter. I was thinking of like, that's at first what I thought the pun was like, you're shattering the glass, uh, cutting the glass doesn't really work because women aren't glad we're not supposed to um cut the glass ceiling but we could yeah anyway these are all just ideas you could workshop um really really i feel like i'm giving you a lot um but you wrote um most recently you wrote a really like moving um article a moving op-ed that was published in l and it's called i hated bernie bros until i loved and lost one and the subtitle is about 45,000 people in the U.S. die every year from not having health insurance. My boyfriend was one of them. So can you talk about this piece um, and why you wrote it and what and what you say in it? Yeah. So back in 2016, I was kind of on the fence between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Hillary Clinton was a little bit to the right of me politically. Maybe that's an understatement. I mean... I didn't think that uh, she was progressive, really, but uh, I wasn't super on board with Bernie Sanders. I thought that the way that he kept talking about the big banks and Wall Street was kind of reductive. Um, I thought that, you know, maybe he was overly focused on class and didn't really pay enough attention to identity issues. And mostly I thought that the movement around him, it seemed toxic to me because I was online a lot uh, as a comedian. And whenever I would post a joke about Bernie or Hillary Clinton, um, I would get, you know, like a bunch of replies and dudes telling me not to vote with my vagina. And I was upset about it. Um, And so, you know, I completely bought into the not to mention how upset your vagina was about it. Yeah, exactly. Because like my vagina would absolutely vote for like a better O'Rourke. You know, my vagina would elect a skater, not Hillary Clinton. But so 
Um, the start of the article is me getting into a fight online with this comic, uh, Jake, Jake Flores. Uh, and, uh, he posted a joke about Hillary Clinton that I thought was sexist and we got into it, um, and, uh, agreed to never speak again. And then a couple weeks later, his podcast host, co-host a guy named Raghav reached out to me and we had been kind of friends from around comedy and he was a socialist and uh we went out to kind of talk things through and ended up dating each other and had a really incredible relationship um and you know it was definitely one of those relationships where there were where there was a lot of political arguing but it was kind of fun it was like you know flirty and I really respected his perspective although you know, I wasn't 100% on board with socialism. Like, you know, I would say I was kind of more to the left end of liberal. Um, and then, you know, we ended up having this argument one day uh, about Medicare for all. And I was like, well, you know, there's multiple pathways to universal coverage. And he was very like, no, everyone needs to be insured, uh, you know, through Medicare for all. Like we need to end the private insurance industry because it's really important that, you know, uh, medical care be just free at the point of service for everybody. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say I was really opposed to that idea, but I just was really kind of stuck on this like multiple pathways thing that you hear politicians say. And, uh, and then a few weeks after that, he, you know, he had been struggling with depression for months and wasn't able to get the medicine that he needed because he didn't have insurance. Um, neither did I, by the way, you know, like this was definitely both of us were on the lower end of the income spectrum. I, I don't really feel like this was me, you know, like trying to trying at least in any conscious way to look down on on anybody. Like I think, you know, he and I were at the same level in terms of like economic interests and stuff. But he he passed away um, from, um, drinking too much, trying to self-medicate his depression. And then that was a really politically galvanizing thing for me. Um, I, uh, ended up connecting with a lot of his friends, including Jake and working together with them, um, on, you know, volunteering for Bernie Sanders and just, you know, the, a lot of the article, um, is about why, you know, socialism and especially Medicare for all became, really important in my life, but I feel like the underlying theme I was trying to convey is what it's like to go from seeing politics as something that you argue about online with people um, versus like understanding the actual real stakes and what that kind of transformation was like for me. Um, so yeah, so you talk about how basically it's because of the lack of Medicare for all that um, Raghav passed away. Um, because he was self-medicating and then he wound up, um, dying. So, uh, you, you explain how basically this turned into a life or death issue, um, kind of ironically and tragically because, um, Raghav within, with whom you would argue about this, it, it was like in, with his death that you really saw that what he was saying. Yeah, exactly. And then you also talk about how afterwards you were, it was around this grieving that you were able to befriend his friends who you had written off or with whom you had, had gotten to a really bad fight. So what did you see when that, uh, that happened? Like what, what did you, what surprised you about interacting with his friends? I think that, I think that in 2016, it really seemed to me like, 
a lot of Bernie supporters were perhaps, I don't know, callous because I I thought at that time it was really, the, I thought that Trump was the main thing to be really concerned about. And I was concerned that all of the negativity towards Hillary Clinton would end up electing Donald Trump. And I was like, you know, what are, what are you guys doing? Like, this is like you know, the threat of fascism. And I was really scared. I think that that was my main motivation in 2016. But then after, as I was getting to know Raghav's friends, I was like, this is the most compassionate movement ever. You know, like a lot of people gave me support in the wake of Raghav's death. Like, I mean, when I was grieving and stuff, I certainly had like a ton of friends bring me food and check up and call on me and like all kinds of things. But, you know, it's really only the Bernie Sanders supporters in my life, mostly Raghav's friends that were really willing to uh, join me in fighting hand in hand to make sure this does not happen to anyone else. And that has been the most healing thing of all. And I, you know, I think what I really understand at this point is like, no matter what kind of like, irony, posting, whatever reply guy nonsense, you know, by the way, that every candidate has. I I just definitely think that Bernie Sanders supporters can be a bit funnier about it. Um, (laughs) Right. Don't blame uh, us because our tweets go more viral. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, just underlying all that stuff is a really uh, deep compassion for humanity that I I just don't see uh, in any other uh, political... I don't want to say movement because I feel like this is the only political right. movement, but just, you know, it's like Behind I've been, candidate. yeah, I've been really trying to convey to my friends who support candidates that are not pushing Medicare for all that, like, this is a really life or death issue and not just this, you know, war, mm-hmm. climate change. And it's just the stakes of politics, like used to feel so abstract to me, but now something like, I don't know, just, you know, Medicare for all or or differences in foreign policy. I just really see and feel it deeply in terms of the the actual experience of losing a human life. And it is, you know, it feels so good to have other Bernie supporters understand that with me. And it, it feels so hard sometimes to have supporters of other candidates think about things in this way that feels a lot more abstract but I mean it's like I can't really blame them because I do think it can be super hard to wrap your mind around and like in some ways humans are psychologically built to be closed off to that kind of thing you know but uh I've it kind of has really felt like it's become a mission in life for me to convince people to see politics in this way yeah I mean, I think that one of the things that people don't get or, you know, they get like stuck in Sanders anger. But then once you get what he's angry about, it's almost like you it's totally it's not just justifiable. It's like it's the the moral position to be in. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, like I mean, um, yeah, I ended the essay by saying um, I even kind of like when Sanders yells now because he's yelling for me. He's yeah. yelling for Raghav. And it's just the experience of seeing him be angry right now is so different than it felt to me in 2016 because I was like, why isn't everyone else yeah, exactly. angry? You right. know, like, why right. aren't the rest of you guys mad about this stuff? It's horrible. Right. I was interviewing Philip Agnew uh, a couple weeks, uh, last episode, I guess. So, And we were saying how it's just so bizarre that there are people who are more angry at Sanders being angry about people dying because they 
can't afford treatment than they are about people dying because they can't afford treatment. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And I also really see, you know, kind of fervent Bernie Sanders uh, reply people on, on Twitter in a really different light. Like, I think I understand at this point that, you know, even the people that, you know, perhaps are uh, saying things from time to time that I find unconstructive, right. like, why shouldn't they be allowed to do that? This right. literally is life or death for right. a lot of the people that are doing that. And like the liberal civility policing feels totally. so callous to me at this point, right. you know? That's the irony is that that, right, that's the callous, insensitive, like we're supposed to care more about someone being rude online than we are about a policy that kills people. Exactly. And it I'll, feels sociopathic. Yeah. And also the, the other thing is like... Um, we, yeah, there is a lot of venting and frustration on the internet, and there are two issues. One is something that you and I talked about on your podcast, and you and I and Julia talked about on your podcast with your co-host Julia, is that there are, and you just alluded to, there are toxic people who support all candidates. But the other thing is, like, Sanders supporters have to deal with a lot of shit that happens in the mainstream media. Like, we have to hear Chuck Todd call his supporters brown shirts. We have to hear... Um, Chris Matthews say he wouldn't help someone on the side of the road. We have to hear Chris Matthews say that he could wind up being shot in Central Park. Like, yeah, th there's a lot to be angry about, not just about politics, but th about the representation of Sanders. So, yeah, of course, we all, like, go off on Twitter. Yeah, and, no, I absolutely agree. And, you know, it's been a really illuminating experience for me to be uh, a vocal Bernie Sanders supporter this primary season because, I, I feel like I am, you know, often maligned by supporters of other candidates as being, you know, just some kind of uh, trash or sexist, which is so funny to me because it's like I've been a feminist my whole life. And it's like here I am out here trying to uh, work for Medicare for all as a way of grieving the loss of a man I love deeply. And these other people see it as sexism or trash. And it's infuriating. I would rather be told to not vote with my vagina any day. Right, uh, take than, that, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just like. I mean, look, I'm not saying it's good when anyone makes sexist comments, but it's just be, being on the other side of it, like the way that, you know, liberals sometimes treat Bernie Sanders supporters is, in my opinion, a lot worse than the other way right. around, having experienced both. Right. And it's also a power issue that like no one likes to talk about this. Everyone likes to talk about civility and not the power, which is like, again, I mean, this was amazing. Did you see this? This woman said, told Ari Melber on MSNBC, I think it was a New Hampshire voter during like a town hall, said that she voted for Sanders because of the treatment of MSNBC's treatment of him. Did you see this? Oh, quote? wow. I didn't see that. Oh, yeah. It's really, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, it's a town hall and a woman in her 60s or 70s, 50s, 60s, 70s, I actually don't know. She, she says that she was uh, torn. She liked Sanders. She liked Elizabeth. She even liked Michael Bennett. So she's not a radical. Um, and she tells Ari Melber that she voted for Bernie because of the way MSNBC treated him. And she watches MSNBC constantly. And I was like, you see, it's not just Bernie Sanders supporters who are sensitive to this or aware of this. I mean, their treatment is so outrageously and shamelessly um, unfair that it is even driving this person who would consider him but isn't a lefty to vote for him, like, out of spite. Yeah, I'm so glad when people can see that. I mean, I was 
looking, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I've been reckoning with my own feminism and what it means to me um, during this election season. But I saw this article uh, about the erasure of, of Elizabeth Warren in Iowa. And it's like, how can you think the coverage of the candidate you know, who did, did not finish in the top two, not being so, you know, amplified. Like, how can that seem like the big media story after them just like straight up declaring Pete Buttigieg the winner when he didn't win? You know, right. it's like, yeah, I mean, exactly. I'm not saying I want to see female candidates like erased in any way, but no. it's just like right. people really are so unfair to Bernie Sanders in this yeah. like amazingly blatant way that right. it's very strange to me that you know really anyone thinks that that's good you know right yeah or wouldn't acknowledge that yeah what do you have things that you would like to share about Raghav that you want people to know about him that you didn't get to say in the article oh wow that's a really good question um I think one of the things that was really great about Raghav and part of the reason why um I just respected him so much is Raghav was very feminist and anti-racist and he was the first person who really got me to see that for the issues that I cared about the social justice issues that I cared about that socialism was the best bet because I think I was someone who kind of erroneously bought into the narrative in 2016 that it was like you know, class or identity issues. And Raghav was amazing at explaining how it all went together. And, you know, there was also like another thing that I didn't write about in the article, which is how I think racism was a big part of the reason why he didn't have health insurance. Like, you know, he knew that he needed health insurance. He had major depression um, and, you know, his job, he was working full time for a corporation and they just didn't provide him health insurance. And he was trying to switch jobs because he knew he needed it. And he was, you know, applying all over. And my thought when he was doing that was like, well, you know, how come he's not getting calls back? He's so smart and he's so, you know, he's such a good writer. And then I, I, you know, I really do. I mean, I can't, I can't say for sure, which is why I couldn't put this in like a journalistic article, but my suspicion is that a lot of the reason that he wasn't getting those calls back is because his name was Raghav and it's um, been, you know, shown over and over that uh, white sounding names are, uh, get more responses in a job search. And, you know, just kind of thinking about the way that that issue, that racism was connected to him not having health insurance in the first place, the fact that his parents were, immigrants and were not in a financial position to help him because of you know what they had been through in their lives you know it's like I think that that's why it it just sounds so amazingly dumb to me at this point when people are talking about like the you know socialism versus identity politics because they're connected you know yeah I was so happy that Barbara Smith endorsed Bernie Sanders, by the way. Me too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And were these comedy jobs that he was applying for? No, I mean, Raghav was a stand-up comedian. Um, you know, he was definitely on his way up. But at this point, he was just applying for like kind of, you know, administrative type day jobs. And he had one, but they just, 
you know, I think their company had less than um, 50 employees in this particular office or whatever. So they were not legally obligated to provide their employees with health insurance. And he was working full time, you know, and he was making um, just above the um, threshold to qualify for any subsidies to get insurance through the ACA marketplace, which is actually the same situation that I'm in right now where like, I don't make a ton of money at all, but it's, you know, too much to get any kind of subsidies. And it's like, I, you know, I'm, it's just really like this, the system is just so bad uh, right now for especially anyone that is like in that kind of lower middle-class level completely you know yeah totally and I remember seeing that he um like was it a week before he died there was a vulture article about him yeah yeah he he he, uh had a write-up in vulture and he was really such a funny comedian I mean he has clips online um you know a lot of his uh comedy his stand-up wasn't necessarily about socialism some of it was but he also just talked about a lot of other things and he was really really funny person yeah and um do you remember having like an aha moment after his death when you realized like wow he was right about medicare for all or was it more of a gradual thing or yeah i mean maybe in you know i would say in the couple weeks that followed i joined some group chats with Raghav's friends and we, you know, we just talked about a lot of um, political things all the time. And I just really started reading a lot about why the private insurance industry was so bad. And, you know, it was really clear to me what, you know, like why we just cannot have a profit motive in you know anything related to to healthcare you know because it's like their incentive is to not provide people treatment and it's always going to be that way um there's a health insurance executive a former health insurance executive named I think Wendell Potter yeah, Wendell he's Potter, on Twitter yeah. yeah and his threads are so good but you know like I think that um talking things through with them was really really illuminating and you know of course I was very uh open to it at that point but it was kind of funny like his friends radicalized me and um I just felt like if there was you know an afterlife of any kind like it would be like one of those things where uh you know it, it like you're dating someone and then they get engaged to the next person, you know, like that's how you would feel about the fact that his friends radicalized me, but it was, you know, they were, they were so sweet. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been a really wonderful thing to, um, you know, to, to work alongside them. We all went to New Hampshire this weekend, uh, to canvas for Bernie Sanders. And I, uh, yeah, you know, I've read a lot of books over the past year that have helped me understand things a lot. I would say that some of the books that have been really influential to me are um, Listen Liberal by Thomas Frank, such such a good one. Yeah, we've had him on the show, yeah. Yeah, and uh, also uh, We've Got People by Ryan Grimm, and then also a book called Feminism for the 99% was really good. Uh, it's a that short little, little the one. Thin one. Yeah. She's been on the show too. You know, if there's any like kind of uh socialism curious listeners those three books are a great place to start 
And what would you say to people, like as someone who has made that transition from, you know, Bernie skeptical, uh, Medicare for all skeptical to wholehearted supporter of it, what do we need to know about reaching out to other people? Like, have you converted other people? Have people responded positively to your article? Yeah, I think I've converted a lot of people. Like, I honestly think that, I mean, it's I, it's funny because I'm like, so, I am like very zealous right now. Like, I'm kind of like a, like I'm an evangelical supporter of not Bernie Sanders, but of the movement, you know, and um, I've converted a lot of people. And I think that, um, I think like when it comes to liberals, like the most convertible people are people that do care deeply about social justice. And I think, you know, helping people understand the connection between patriarchy and capitalism, racism and capitalism, these things, I think, make a lot of difference to the types of liberals that you actually can convert, which is, isn't going to be everybody. Like there are some people that, you know, are just going to be close to the message because of their class interests or whatever. But I really do think that this, this narrative of, you know, it's class versus identity that has been so sticky and pervasive and really kind of helping people break through that. And also I think, you know, for socialists, like, I'm I'm sure that there's even people who are listening to this right now saying like, you know, well, how could you not understand that before? But like the perspective that I want to share is that like, you know, my family was, you know, not super conservative, but, you know, definitely Democrats and, you know, my my friends, same thing. And the places that I was getting my news were like New York Times and Washington Post. And I think that people who have been socialists for a while can forget what it is like to be consuming media with just such bias. You don't really have access to the, the I, I want to, I almost want to say like the truth or at least like a, yeah, you know, no, a la- uh, you know, or at least a, a left perspective on these issues, which like I, I do certainly feel at this point is the right one, you know? So I think like, I don't know. I don't like, I, again, I'm not trying to be the civility police or anything like that, but I do think that like shouting at a Warren supporter or something that they want people to die, you know, it's, that's not true. Uh, a lot of the time, I think that a lot of people do not understand movement-based politics. A lot of people don't understand why, you know, the DNC is bad and stuff. And you know, you just you have to remember that people really don't have the information in a lot of cases and they don't even know where to begin um, in terms of finding the information. And, you know, I think a lot of like, uh, you know, a lot of leftist media can perhaps feel, uh, you know, a little inaccessible sometimes. But I think, you know, really good places for like a. Uh, liberal friends to start I think like democracy now I'm a huge fan of Amy Goodman I actually you know this show the Katie Halper show was a very influential uh show for me um yeah I don't know I mean it's like at this point like I super super love the like deeply irony infused angry uh dirtbag left podcast and I love it because it's cathartic for me but I think it's like not necessarily uh, accessible and, you know, maybe something like democracy now can be like a, a really good entry point for people. Yeah. 
It's true. I mean, I think that um, I said this, like I, I was on this panel at Harvard and uh, I was saying like, you know, the basket of deplorables, the irredeemables aren't necessarily the people who I think a lot of liberals think they are and people who I used to kind of write off. I think that like there are people who are liberal because like, as you said, it's really hard to know when you're, it's hard to identify media bias because the whole point is all you're hearing when there's like a hegemonic media voice, all you're hearing is this one opinion. So there's nothing to check it against. Um, and so a lot of people have no idea. How are you supposed to know that this is misrepresenting reality? So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And why, you know, like it's certainly like a reasonable assumption on people's part that like the the paper of record, you know, the New yeah, York Times yeah. would be printing, you know, fair information. And it's like, uh, you know, people, I think, I think for liberals, you know, they think like uh, Fox News would be like conservative media and like, you know, MSNBC. I mean, I never watched MSNBC, like, you know, not since I like I, I don't watch TV, but, you know, like some it's, I think that people assume that in the New York Times or the Washington Post is like the left perspective. And it's a big shift mentally. It's a really, really big shift mentally to uh, go from like thinking about politics, you know, like in terms of Democrats good, Republicans bad, to like, you know, thinking about it in terms of like, well, we have a ruling class and, you know, the uh, they're controlling both parties. And, you know, the Republican Party is certainly more sadistic and openly racist a lot of the time. But right. that doesn't mean that corporate corporations are not also controlling a lot of the Democratic Party, you know? And I think like... I think also, too, it can be really helpful for um, leftists who are trying to convert their liberal friends to understand, like, some of the myths that uh, liberals have about leftists. Like, you know, it's not just a class versus identity thing. Um, it's also, like, I think one thing that liberals think is that, you know, sometimes leftists are kind of defiantly making an issue out of things that don't seem so big compared to like kids in cages. So you really got to help liberals understand that like, right. you know, let's say we elect, you know, Mayor Pete or something like those kids are not going to get out of cages in my opinion, yeah. you know, yeah, I can't totally. predict the future, but you know, it's like, I, yeah, I just think to, to kind of help liberals understand that um, socialism is coming from a place of, compassion and not just defiance you know what i mean yes compassion not just defiance. yeah and also the possibility like the possibility too because i think people are so used to having to choose between righteousness and viability and yeah. with sanders we really do see that like no one like people just ignore the fact either ignore or can't believe that sanders is more electable against trump than other candidates because they're so used to people with principles not having any chance politically. Yes. Um, and when I was talking about the irredeemables and deplor the deplorables, like I think that there are redeemable libs who really don't get it. And once you show them and you kind of get through all the noise, the media noise, the MSNBC noise, the CNN noise, the New York Times noise, the Washington Post noise, you can reach them. But then the real irredeemables are the people who know that 
like should know better, but either don't care or kind of deluding themselves because they either have class interests or they have some kind of aesthetic interest preference for something, or they really, the thing that drives me crazy are people who have this like personal identification with someone, um, which, and their like journey, which is more important to them than like the lives. So it's like, if you're a woman and you're a feminist and you really identify with Warren, I get that. Or you really identify with Clinton, I get that. But like the journey of one extremely powerful woman, I think is less important, uh, less of a, an urgent thing than the lives of countless powerless women, which is. Yeah, I completely, I completely, completely agree with you there. I think, you know, I just think that a lot of people are not, you know, their, their eyes aren't necessarily open to the suffering. And, you know, I mean, you can say that, they should be. And, you know, of course I agree with that, but you know, it's like, again, in terms of the media that people are consuming, like, you know, the New York times isn't printing those stories. It's, you know, it's really like, we really kind of got to show people, you know, especially people who are not necessarily economically struggling in a, in a major way, you know, what that experience is like and, um, and help people understand. That's why I love, Bernie's 2020 campaign. I, it's so, you know, in 2016, I just felt like, man, he just keeps talking about the same thing again and again, you know, but now I think the focus in 2020 has been so much on people sharing their personal stories of experiences they've had with our brutal healthcare system, um, or with, you know, housing. I mean, it's just, uh, it's been really moving to have a campaign that is based on, people just sharing what their what their lives are like and what kind of difference Bernie's policies would make, you know? And so, you know, more of that, the better. That's like why I decided to share my story. And I think that, you know, for your liberal friends, like, you know, there's so many videos of people um, sharing their stories, like, you know, on uh, Twitter for the Bernie campaign uh, or elsewhere on the internet and, you know, just helping helping people see you know what about what can you talk about some of the responses that you got into the piece and also any examples of like toxic behavior that people would criticize bernie for if it um were engaged in by his supporters but nobody talks about when it's engaged in by others supporters uh yeah Yeah, other candidate supporters yeah yeah i mean i would say that the response to my piece for the most part has been overwhelmingly positive by supporters of all candidates like even like jake tapper retweeted wow. it you know like yeah i mean and i've gotten a lot of retweets of it from you know notable warren supporters and you know just like a lot of people have shared it uh but you know there have been some trolls particularly folks who start who, uh, you know, support Elizabeth Warren. I think because that is, you know, the, it's maybe it's natural for there to be like some resentment from the supporters of the candidate who is, you know, the closest to Bernie Sanders. Right. And, and a woman you know, too, who's supposed to yeah. be the feminist lane. Yeah. Yeah. The person lane. that most upset me was uh, a Warren supporter with a lot of followers who accused me of weaponizing my grief. And that was hard because it's like, I mean, you know, that that is exactly what I'm trying to do. You know, it's like, I, I mean, I, I am, I am explicitly trying to weaponize my grief because I think that, you know, we don't have a lot of other weapons other than 
our stories. That is the tool to help people understand the way that this system is failing people to the extent that it costs, you know, 45,000 or more people their lives each year. I mean, I don't think Raghav is going to be recorded in that statistic, honestly, because it's like he is, you know, his death wasn't a super clear situation of like, oh, well, you know, he was diabetic and he couldn't get insulin, which my guess is a lot of those deaths are super, super clear. And, you know, but this one, like given that it was mental health related, I don't think that that's going down on this number, on that number. So, you know, my suspicion is there's like a lot more people who are dying, um, that their deaths are not counted in that statistic. And, you know, I, I guess, yeah, I guess, uh, it was just hard to be trolled for it at right. all in any way, uh, cause it was very vulnerable. Um, so you're but, saying he, like his death, just to clarify, and I can cut this out if this is too personal, but like his death was overdose related. Yeah. I mean, his, he, the way that he actually died was from drinking too much one night, but the circumstances that led him to drink too much one night were because he was unable to get his antidepressants and his anti-anxiety medicine. And he, you know, he didn't have the money to see a doctor and like, when he did have those things in his life, like when he did have the ability to see a doctor and get on the right medicine for him, he, you know, he didn't have that problem, you know? So like, to me, it's a pretty clear connection. And I think that everyone else who loved Raghav agrees with that. You know, I wasn't the only person that saw it that way. We all do. Right, right. It's not like you're some weird, like abstract, like your like mental gymnastics or something exactly it's it's really funny you're like that woman who trolled you out and she's like how dare you try to use the death of your boyfriend to save the lives of other people yeah exactly it's like what you're doing i mean it reminds me her response reminds me of when when there's like a gun shooting and people want to talk about gun policy and they're like don't politicize it it's not yeah. the time to politicize it like yeah exactly i mean you know i think the idea that we shouldn't uh politicize tragedies that are you know preventable deaths yeah. that's what, what a toxic idea i mean it's like how else are we going to get this shit to stop happening yeah. you know and i'm sure this person would totally mock any republican who says that about gun violence yeah exactly should, yeah. and you know just for the record like before i did this i i talked to all the people i know that love ragov and we all agreed that this is exactly what he would have wanted and that the best way for us to go forward is by, you know, continuing in the fight for the issues that he cared about. Raghav was a, a deeply, deeply compassionate person um, and this stuff was the most important thing to him and it is the opinion of everyone who knew him that this is the right way to go. Yeah. And can you just tell us um, what you tell me what you saw and what you were doing in New Hampshire and Iowa? Yeah, so I was just canvassing um, in Iowa. I canvassed in Des Moines, and that was, you know, that was a really illuminating experience because I think you know, like as much as Bernie Bros are not real like me and my friends we are bernie bros in the sense that like we are podcasters who live in brooklyn and we like to be funny on the internet but in iowa i really had the experience of like like understanding in a concrete way that you know it it truly truly is a multiracial working class coalition behind bernie sanders i had the opportunity to talk to somebody who voted for trump last time 
but would vote for Bernie Sanders, yet not another Democratic candidate. And the reason that he felt that way is because you know, he has a lot of family in the military and he was super concerned that under a Clinton or Biden foreign policy, they would be endangered. And, you know, I'm not making excuses for voting for Trump or whatever, but I can certainly see how believing that your own family would die under a certain administration would be a strong motivation to vote. You know, I talked to, you know, people that wouldn't vote for anybody besides Bernie. And it's like, you know, I know that like liberals love to drag these people but i mean it, it it's it certainly would be hard to do when standing right in front of them because it's like the folks that i talked to like they were hard up they were living in like low income housing and like it was a you know it would be a, you know a big thing for them to take like any time off work and and that's not because they don't care about humanity it's because they're dealing with survival concerns and you know like just like it talks about in that book listen liberal by thomas frank like their lives have gotten pretty much the same amount of worse under the democratic administration so it's completely understandable to me why people do not feel that it's worth their time in some cases especially if their lives do not allow them to pay attention to the news and politics all the time like ours allow us to you know also all the people who drag the bernie or bus people two things one is more clinton voters refrain from refuse to vote for obama than bernie voters refuse to vote for clinton um and also if you really care like these people claim like the number one priority is voting for trump like you may not like it, the existence of people who would only vote for Sanders, but that may want you to think that he, that may cause you to realize he is indeed the most electable. Yeah. In I, general. I, it's kind of baffling to me why people, you know, don't see it that way. It's like the, a, a lot of the liberals who, you know, use the Bernie or bus people as a reason, you know, ostensibly to not vote for Bernie Sanders right. because they don't want to like reward yeah, the behavior. Or something. It's like, well, what's more important? Like not exactly. rewarding the behavior of Chapo Trap House or right. yeah, exactly. getting Trump out of office. Like, you know, according to these uh, people, you know, they say that getting Trump out of office is the most important thing to them. And, you know, I, I would agree with that. Right. So really the only thing to do is uh, vote for Bernie Sanders. Yeah, you know? exactly. And Matt yeah. Brunig makes that point a lot, yeah. you know. And Sadie, I love that the New York Times, this killed me, that the New York Times in an article about Bernie Bros in an article about online toxic behavior, they quoted three people, one of whom was Sadie Doyle, who celebrates getting people like Matt Brunig fired. And she's a little harder because she's very sneaky, um, but she harasses people online while playing the victim constantly. But another one was just plain, good old fashioned Candace Eisten, who says stuff like, um, if you, maybe you get Bernie's dick out of your eye or talks about how Jim Zogby is going to run away with Bernie Sanders and be his side piece. Yeah, so toxic. So toxic. And like, I don't have to listen to you just because you're a person of color. I mean, she's like, the other thing is sometimes I feel bad because I do think sometimes these people are unwell. And I'm not saying that in a shade way. I'm just saying that like, that's, they're not wrong for being unwell. But like the New York Times is, should be, should not be citing someone who also thinks that like Hillary Clinton's a lot like Jesus being persecuted. Yeah. I mean, and it, one thing to me was like, you know, I'm never going to say I was like a fan of Sadie Doyle, but I certainly like read her work and respected some of the things she said. And then, you know, to find out now that she was actually collaborating 
with the Clinton campaign in 2016. I mean, according to WikiLeaks, it's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, what are these people's motivations in some cases? But yeah, I mean, I definitely, it's definitely been like super weird for me to get called a misogynist because I have devoted my life to feminism for, you know, all 30 plus years of it. And uh, it's just been so weird to have people you know, write off my passion for making sure that every person in our country has health care as like toxic sexism. It's ridiculous. It's really, and I, you know, it's, it's like, I've never seen any of these people condemn the online abuse. The people who complain about the Bernie Bros, I've never seen them condemn the online abuse that near, that, um, whoops, that, uh, sorry, near town is one of those people who never does, but that Nina Turner faces, Brianna Joy Gray, um, you know, I've been like eclectic brother told me to go fuck myself with Jank Uger's dick. No Jesus. One, yeah. Oh yeah. And no one can, I was like asking all these people to condemn it. No one did. Um, one woman named Mia something who's like friends with Sally Albright. Um, I was in a thread. I was like engaged in a Twitter discussion with her and I told her about it and she was like, well, I don't like Jank Ugar. I was like, okay, that's fine. That has nothing to do with it. And she did. She's the only person who was like, yes, that was wrong. No one else did though. Um, none of the other feminists I was engaged with. Yeah, it's definitely like disappointing because, you know, I've definitely gotten some really painful harassment, you know, in this election online, like, you know, being harassed on posts that I make about Raghav where people are like yelling at me because I'm posting that my uninsured boyfriend died. Right. You know, that's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. And it sucks that liberal feminists do not include me in the like uh believe women thing because it's like i am telling you that i am facing a hard experience online as well and you keep saying that it's only women who don't support bernie sanders that are facing this but i'm telling you i am a woman who is a passionate supporter of bernie sanders and i get yelled at on the internet all the time by some really toxic people and it's hard you know much harder, honestly, than 2016. So it's like, to me, it feels pretty obvious at this point that, you know, the problem is that the internet has a lot of uh, jerks on it and they're not necessarily associated with any candidate whatsoever, you know? Yeah. I mean, also, yeah, that's like, it's it's either like they don't believe women or they just don't care. They're like, just ignore it because it doesn't fit their narrative. And, And the one thing is that like, at least there's a narrative for people who are harassed. I mean, I don't wish it on anyone and I condemn it whenever it happens. But like, at least if you're, if a Sanders person says something to you, you get to be like validated by all of the media that pushes the Bernie bro thing. But if it's someone like us, it's like we're ignored or we're told like, stop whining. I mean, it's just the hypocrisy is just so astounding. I completely agree with you. It's really frustrating. So frustrating. Any, any ones you want to share of things that people have said to you? This was kind of a funny one. I wouldn't say that it was like a directly harassing tweet necessarily, but one of my followers, you know, she was like reply, reply guying me a lot that she like hates my jokes. So I decided to uh, look at her Twitter and she said, there's a comedian I really like, but she just keeps posting more divisive stuff about Bernie Sanders, and she never gives a reason why she supports him 
other than her uninsured boyfriend died. This is why people hate Bernie supporters. And I'm just like, Jesus, man. Like, you really can't make the connection to, like, she's a passionate supporter of Bernie Sanders because his policies would have saved the life of someone that she loves, you know? Like, that was just kind of like a messed up one to say, you know? Yeah. What the hell? The only reason you care about this stuff is because it affects people's real lives and you lost someone. Yeah, you know, and it's like, uh, what the hell? Yeah, I mean, I've gotten like, you know, I've I've gotten a bunch of responses like, oh, you know, you're in a cult. That's a big one right. that people say to me, and it's like, wow. first of all, I would never join a cult that was not a sex and drugs cult because I'm yeah, a fun exactly. person. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, I I would if it, if this really were a cult, I would absolutely already be in a forced marriage to another podcaster. Yeah, uh, exactly. yet. I am single, yeah. so not a cult, you know. Well, so you don't get ben- any benefits of the cult, yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, and it's just like, you know, I guess I had this um, idea that in 20, just after what I saw, you know, in 2016, um, like the stuff that I feel like was alienating to me about some of the online Bernie Sanders stuff, I was like, all right, well, you know, now that I support Bernie Sanders, I'm going to take extra care to make sure that the stuff that I write or podcast is feminist and is welcoming and is something that is accessible for folks who, you know, are curious, like, but, and I think I naively believed that that would prevent people from, uh, like accusing me of toxicity, but this, it doesn't, I get accused of toxicity all the time, even though it's like so important to me to like not be misogynistic, to not be, you know, like, uh, I don't know, a jerk really, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. Yeah. I, I feel like I used to be in that stage and I still try to not be that way. Um, but like assuming that people are a- operating good faith when they're yeah, not, you know. Yeah, exactly. I've decided to log off for like a few weeks except for like retweeting my shows and podcasts and stuff like that because I just you know, I simply uh I simply do not enjoy being trolled about a vulnerable article and yeah. I also have I think made my my very best possible case for why you should vote for Bernie Sanders, yeah. you know. So, yeah. yeah. Any any really toxic things that you got? I'm trying to collect a bunch of examples. I sound so nefarious. Um, I'm so fucking tired of it, though. You know, I've definitely. Yeah, I've been called a piece of shit. I don't usually collect them. I usually block people. But I'll look through and see if I can find any for you. I actually went on another podcast recently with someone who I tweeted a joke that said it was on the day that Elizabeth Warren. Uh, released her like two bill three year rollout for Medicare for all, and uh, I tweeted a joke, and my joke was, I relate to Elizabeth Warren because when I say I have a plan for that, I also mean that I will think about doing it in three years, which right. I thought was a pretty good non misogynistic joke. Yeah, but totally. someone responded to me. Someone responded to me with, "Ugh, why are Bernie stands such pieces of shit?" Yeah. And then I went on this podcast with her called Conversations with People Who right. Hate Me. Yeah. We're hosted by Dylan Marin and we got a chance to kind of talk and, you know, it's just, it was just like really clear to me that, you know, it's like she's been yelled at by a lot of Bernie people online and I've been yelled at by a lot of Warren people online and we're all just like projecting all of the experiences, you know, we've ever had with, uh, 
like another candidate's online supporters onto every single one of those online supporters. In reality, it's like I haven't met everyone who supports Bernie Sanders. Like there's millions of people. I have no control over what anybody else posts regarding Bernie right, Sanders. Right, totally. You know, like yeah. I'm an individual and right. you know, so is the supporter of every other candidate. Right, totally. Has this changed, like, your friendships and relationships at all? Like, you're coming out as this? Yeah, it definitely has changed my friendships and relationships a lot. Like, you know, not with my close friends. I mean, if anything, I would say, like, with my close friends, like, a lot of people I know actually have decided to support Bernie Sanders because, you know, they saw what... um the lack of Medicare for all did to my life. And I would say that, you know, many people I love, including my mom, you know, have become uh, full on Bernie bros. But, you know, there's definitely been like some comics um, that uh, are are mad at me, particularly like some feminist comics who I, I think really used to respect my work. Like, you know, now see me as like a, you know, like, like an annoying person at best or like an enemy at at worst, because I feel this way, um, and I'm not supporting someone, I'm not supporting a woman for president, you know, but it's like, it's not because I've abandoned feminism or anything, as we talked about, it's that my feminism has evolved to include women who are struggling, you know, and it's less centered on electing one very powerful woman at the tip top, you know, it's like, I mean, why is my feminism not even allowed to include myself. I would benefit immensely from Bernie Sanders' policies. Like, why right. am I not allowed to think about even my own interests as a woman, you know? Right, yeah. And why, when people ask you why Sanders is, your, is the feminist candidate, what do, you, what do you say? I think when it comes to Sanders' platform, you know, think about some of the issues that are facing women today as a result of you know, misogyny in our culture, like lack of access to healthcare is a really big one. I mean, domestic violence counselors report again and again that uh, one major reason that women do not leave abusive relationships is because they cannot afford to. And, you know, in a society where everybody had healthcare and it had nothing to do with their job or their husband's job. You know, think about the freedom that that would give people to leave abusive relationships. Think about like, you know, if there was affordable housing, like, you know, people don't have to live with someone who is hurting them. You know, if you, if we have a social safety net, like you don't have to stay in a job with a boss who is harassing you, for example, you know, I mean, and also just like, I think, you know, not to go to galaxy brain, but my feminism also involves the value of taking care of our planet and, um, you know, taking care of mother earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, yes, I, I am from California and I have done a lot of psychedelics. So, you know, that's, that's also real, but, you know, I think like the fact that, he is the strongest candidate by far on climate means a lot to me as a feminist. Um, I also think that, you know, when I think about what are the biggest issues for liberal feminists, abortion is one and it certainly should be. But, you know, the people who have a hard time getting abortions in our society are low income women. Like, 
you know, or people especially who don't have like connections to like other folks who could, you know, loan them a thousand or two thousand dollars to take a trip to another state to get an abortion, you know what I mean? And so like given that wealthy women or even maybe, you know, middle class women in a lot of cases will always be able to get abortions. Like the abortion debate is really about what happens to low income women who have unwanted pregnancies and like, you know, in that way, the fact that Sanders wants Medicare for all where abortion is not only legal but it is free, like, you know, those are the people that we really need to to be worrying about, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's next for you now? Yeah, so um I'm uh I'm touring a lot this spring. I'm going to be in Bloomington, I'm going to be in San Francisco, I'm going to be in Seattle, North Carolina. Um I'll be uh posting some dates on my Twitter and Instagram really soon. Going to be doing a bunch of stand up this spring. Uh my stand up has definitely gotten a little more socialist as well. Nice. And where can people find you and everything? Yeah, so I'm at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's on Twitter. And I am at Kate.Willett on Instagram. And my website is katewillett.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank Yeah, this was really great. And I'm so grateful for your piece. And it was so good. And um, I'm so glad I had you on. Thank you so much, Katie. Yeah. Um, I really love talking to you, Katie. Oh, one more question. Sorry. Sorry. One more question. Yeah. It's going to sound so self-absorbed, but do you, <laughs> this is so terrible. Do you remember like, did you like this? Did you think I was obnoxious and like, and then were you like, oh, actually I get it. Like, cause I, cause I know, um, I'm just curious how I seem to feminists when they trans, before they tra- pre, pre-transition feminists, before they transition to Sanders supporters. Yeah, I do remember you on Twitter. And it's funny, I actually talked about you with Raghav. um, Because I was like, you know, I really like I respect what she's doing. And I respect her opinions. But it just seems like the hatred of Hillary Clinton goes so far. I was like, why? You know, why is she so mad at Hillary Clinton? But now that I know a lot more about Hillary Clinton's record. I certainly know why you feel right. that way, yeah. especially with everything that you have been through on yeah. the internet, you know, yeah. and I just understand it a lot more. And Raghav's position on that was, you know, well, I really think that you and Katie Halper should just, you should just talk to her someday. Yeah. I think she would talk to you about it. Yeah. Um, and it's so, yeah, it's, it's like funny and special that we're talking yeah. right now. Yeah. And then we met, of course, through Jake, who's who you write about, who was one of Raghav's, I guess, closest friends and was his podcast co-host. Yeah. Um, I'm also, this sounds, maybe this sounds weird, but I'm like, so I'm really sad that, like, I didn't get to meet Raghav. And, um, yeah, because I, I think I remember looking and we had, like, DM'd or, and it's just not, I don't, I sound kind of, I feel kind of ridiculous saying that to you because obviously. Like, no, not went, at all. I mean, he's he a really, through. really freaking great guy and i i super wish that he was here to like do socialism with like i think that we would have had a lot of fun doing this together and i i wish that he could see me be friends with all of his friends and i wish that he could like i you know i wish i got to share this activism with him and talk to him about you know all this stuff from a perspective of like agreeing with him and getting to explore you know his brain more and sharing his friends with him you know it's like you know 
it uh this this definitely would have been a, a really special thing to yeah. to get to do together. I feel really bad because like uh not my dad is a psychiatrist and like I he sees a lot of people for free if they don't have insurance. Um I just feel bad like but like if I had known, I know that sounds ridiculous also. Yeah, I mean, there's no way that you could have known at all. It's just so fucked up. And like, that's another thing that needs to be talked about is like to destigmatize this so that it's not, you know, someone's failure. And so that they do see it like, like you were saying, like it's like someone who has diabetes who doesn't have insulin. Yeah, and absolutely. And like, you know, I think here's another thing to understand that I mentioned in the article. It's like Raghav's friends, including me, like, we, you know, we tried to give him straight up money to get healthcare, you know, like we, like he had people in his life that were like trying to financially support him, but it's like certainly reasonable to not want to take money from your friends, particularly if your friends are also struggling, you know, it's like people, you know, want to have their dignity. And I, I think that's completely respectable and you can't like, you know, nobody, Nobody knows they're going to die. Nobody knows their friend is going to die. Right. Like walking around thinking that you're going to die or that the people you love are going to die. Like that would be a sign of, you know, like a state of mental distress. Yeah, you exactly. know, yeah. it's like these things come out of the blue, man. Right. You yeah. know? Yeah. Well, yeah, really do thank you so much for like turning this into something that will help other people, which it really will. I hope so. Yeah, I, I'm really, really excited that... I don't know. I mean, I, I have my fingers firmly crossed that we are uh, going to elect Bernie Sanders and I can't believe it's happening. And I I think every day that like I can't, you know, I, I can't believe that this is like the most important thing in the world to me and is also like a huge connecting point with me and all the people that I love and am close to. You know, it's like it's it's like wild to me to like wake up in the morning and feel like just like I don't know I I just care about this so much you know and yeah yeah, it's it's actually really 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 satisfying and it's like it's brought so much um love and joy into my life to work alongside other people who have this same goal of getting a green new deal and getting medicare for all and abolishing ice and like just to you know work with other comics some of whom I haven't spoken to in years and other podcasters and it's just been like really uniting and beautiful experience to all share this together and like you know I just that's part of the reason I feel bad for people who like hate on our movement because it's like you're missing it it's so fun you know they're deprived they're depriving themselves yeah exactly yeah um well thank you really and I I keep saying this I'm like thanks thanks so much and I ask you another thing but I will really let you go and this was really great thank you so much Kate. Kate Thanks so much for listening to The Katie Helper Show. The Katie Helper Show is edited by Ted Reedy. Our theme song is by the band Cordova. Out of